Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Tell you what, if you have your Bible this morning, you can open to the book of Psalms, the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, is where we're going to be. And so I want to invite you to turn there um, and we can engage with that text here in just a second. If you don't have the Bible, some on the sides of the tech booth back there, feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one. Or if you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event um, either by linking off one of our social media sites or uh, just by the geography there. And would uh, love for you to find that, follow along with all the scriptures and sermon notes and other important info. Okay, uh, let's ask for God's help in understanding his word and then we'll, then we'll get to it, okay? Uh, Father, we're here now, your people, gladly, um, gladly here. You, you have um, bought us by your blood for yourself and you've brought us to this place where you, through your word, want to speak to us. And today we're going to hear from your word, about your word. And Father, our confession is, like Peter, where else are we going to turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. So light us up today, God. Give us, give us what we need. Um, whether that be something that needs to be pulled out of us, or whether that be something that needs to be built into us, um, confront us where we need that and comfort us where we need it. I ask, Father, that you would do your work here and do it for Jesus' sake and for the sake of his people uh, and for the sake of his kingdom. If you want to take a moment as a, just as an individual and finish that prayer, We are your children, Father, and we are listening. So come now and speak. In Christ's name, amen. Amen and amen. Okay. Uh, Psalm chapter 1. One of the five kind of strands of DNA that make us who we are as a church is this one, that we are saturated with the scripture, that we would be people who, when uh, uh, we are so inundated uh, with the Bible uh, that it comes out of us every possible chance, whether it's an expression, something that we say, whether it's an action, some way that we live, we are saturated with the scripture. And whenever the world comes along, and it often does, and squeezes us, what comes out of us. Bible does. That's exactly what we want to be. And so we, as a people, are saturated with the scripture. It's why we preach the way that we preach and teach the way that we teach. And today, uh, I want to just spend a couple of weeks, a couple of Sundays, thinking about the Bible together from Psalm chapter 1. I I actually have two sermons. I'm only going to preach one of them today. And everybody said, thank you. All right. Sinners. Okay, Uh, here we go. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Can we just pause there for a second? Don't you want to be a tree? I mean, really. Not, not something that goes away when the wind blows. Not something that floats away when the storms come. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither in all that he does. 
he prospers. The wicked are not so. <laughs> no, they're not. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's Psalm 1. It's so, so good. And so uh, I want to uh, spend some uh, these, this Sunday and next Sunday thinking about growing trees. Because that's what we do. Around here, our intent is not to grow an organization. Our intent is to grow trees. That's what we want to do. It's it's who we want to be. And we do that by saturating ourselves um, with the scripture. So here's today's big truth. And I want to set that out. And we'll pick this up uh, next week as well. But today's big truth is this. That whoever has your ear helps determine your path. Whoever has your ear helps determine your path. It is not the sole determinant of your path. Sometimes circumstances come along. Sometimes uh, you choose differently than those who have your ear, whatever. But whoever has your ear helps determine your path. Uh, can you think of anybody who gave you advice along the way that you, were, you have repeated over and over and over again to other people? Anybody with me on that? Uh, can you think of uh, somebody who said something to you at a critical juncture of your life and somehow, some way, your life shifted as a result of that? Whoever has your ear helps determine your path. Not the sole determinant, but it does help determine your path. And so um, with that kind of in mind, I want to just think for a second, uh, uh, even about this, this little first phrase in verse one, blessed is the man. God's desire is to bless us. Did you know that? Now, in your mind, you may not have a God in your mind, or or you can even fathom a God, spin up a God in your imagination whose desire is to bless you. Or the blessing that you uh, um, uh, may think of is, uh, you know, healthy and wealthy and wise kind of thing, the American, full of the American dream. Listen, God wants to bless you. And the, the, the word that the uh, psalmist used here, it is a, a sense of well-being, a sense that God has an overall yes over your life. Um, it, is, it is not always the picture that, that people have of God. I distinctly remember uh, being in a conversation one time. It was actually at a hospital um, and uh, with one of the employees. I was just visiting. They said, what do you do? And of course, that's always a dangerous question for me. Uh, well, I'm a pastor type and you know too and so we kind of walk through that and they're pushed back hey is faith a part of your life eh it was at one point but not really now gosh it sounds like that uh, there was a real struggle for you I'm really sorry about that go through and I said hey if I were to hand you a, a blank piece of paper and ask you to draw God what would you draw well whatever it would be it would be big bright and splotchy splotchy so distant so messy and so disconnected, unapproachable, big, bright, and splotchy. And that may not be your particular answer or your particular view, but what I want to say is that the Bible continually portrays a God who wants to bless his people. And here it is. Blessed is the man. Blessed. So with that in mind, uh, I want to just... uh, talk about uh, kind of these these actual first two verses here. Um, So let's let's talk about the negative first. That's where the psalmist goes. So the man who is blessed doesn't do these things, and then he does a couple of things, all right? So he doesn't do these things. Uh, He doesn't fall into what I called relational descent. Here we go again, verse 1. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, um, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's this relational descent. Do you see it there? Um, Some of your translations may have, instead of wicked, it may have ungodly. The idea is, is that this person is like 
ignorant. Um, they, they, they don't know what they don't know, and they're perfectly fine not knowing what they don't know. There is a relational descent, and it begins with this kind of ignorance. Those, they, they are foolish. Um, they choose to uh, uh, give no thought to God. Does anybody have anybody in their life like that? They choose to give no thought to God. Um, and and uh, they, because of that, they just, they just go on about their way. And it talks about those who walk in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. And then the, the, next, the next level down, nor stands in the way of what? What's it say there? Of sinners. Now, we've gone from the ignorance of the wicked or ungodly uh, to those who know what they are doing and they know what they are doing is not right and they continue to do so. These are the sinners that we're talking about. Um, these are the people who go around and say, well, well, this isn't really hurting anybody, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I know it's just me and this or that or whatever. And so it's not really messing with anybody else. I'm just going to keep doing it. Here we've got the wicked uh, or the ungodly who are ignorant of their choices. And then we've got sinners who have absolutely made their choice. And they're going to continue to do what they do. And then the last one, walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the the way of sinners, and then sit in in the seat of whom? Who is it? Say it out loud. Scoffers. Scoffers. Do you have any scoffers in your life? And I'm not talking about, like, Yankees fans this morning. (laughs) Somebody asked me earlier, hey, is it okay if we pray for a minute if the Astros' bats would wake up? Yes, we can pray for that. We'll do that maybe at the end or something. I don't know. Scoffers. Scoffers are those who not only are, they've gone past the level of ignorance. Uh, and, And they have gone past the level of made their choices. Now they're urging others to make their choice, make the same choice that they did. You, you see this a lot today, in particular in social media circles where, oh, well, I once was this, but now I'm this, and you guys should follow me in this way. Scoffers. It comes across as, hey, you really can't believe that, right? I mean, you really can't continue to do that, right? I mean, you can't really act like that, right? I mean, scoffers, people who know, uh, those who not only do wrong, but also urge others uh, to do the same. Paul talked about them in Romans chapter 1 and other places. There is a relational descent. And what the Bible says is the man or the woman who wants to live in the blessing of God needs to not be around those kind of folks. Needs to not engage in that kind of relational descent. And then, there's not only a relational descent, but as it often happens, when there is a relationship, lifestyle tends to follow. And so, look at how the psalmist describes that. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the counsel there. Um, there's a life, lifestyle descent. Counsel. These are opinions that get shared. Uh, these are uh, things that show up. These are, uh, I don't know, how, you know, how they may come to you via email or uh, in a magazine article that somebody sends or some, somebody posts or whatever. Uh, there is counsel. These are opinions. They have a voice and that voice wants to be heard. And so um, this voice of the ignorant, the voice of the ungodly, the voice of the wicked there, it, it gets expressed in two ways, in questions and in statements. And when you summarize those questions that they're asked or those statements that are made, it sounds like this. Uh, and please, make no mistake, make no mistake, there is, there is a desire to draw you away. But the question goes like this. Did God really say that? And then the statement goes, well, that's not really how it is. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody else? In Genesis chapter 3, there's a particular serpent that shows up on the scene to the man and the woman. And you know what the first question is? The only question that he asks is what? 
Did God really say that? And then the statement that followed was, oh, it's really not that way. You're surely going to die. Excuse me, you surely won't die, is what he said. Did God really say don't eat from the tree? You surely won't die. There's nothing new about this strategy. It just comes in different forms. It comes in different ways. There are different uh, media by which it comes to us. But I'm telling you, there's nothing new about this strategy. And so those who, uh, those who offer their opinions, offer their counsel, um, uh, uh, contrary, contrary to the, the blessing of God, what they will do is question you, and then they will make statements. Did God really say this? And that's not really how it is. It is like, and when we bite, uh, what we find is, is that uh, just like a fish, when if you go out there, you go fishing, you throw the lure in the water or throw the bait in the water, when you latch on, what do you find? Hey, there's a hook in there. And what does that hook does want you to do? It, uh, what is it designed to do? It is designed to pull you in. And the, the blessing comes for those who, who don't get there. Um, so there just a couple of examples of this, of, of did God really say, that's not really how it is. How about this one? Uh, how about an unchanging morality? Did God really say that there was an unchanging morality? Surely not, right? Surely love is love. That's not really how it is. Love is love, right? Or this one. Um, is there, uh, did God really say that there's only one way to God? Did God really say that? Huh. Oh, surely not. Surely a loving God would not condemn people to be separated from him forever. And just on that one, I was just thinking about this. You don't have to turn here. Just listen. Just listen to this. This is why it's so important to read the Bible. This is John 3. Let's see if you recognize this verse. I'm just going to read. I'll pause here for a comment, but I'm just going to read. There's four verses together that are right next to one another. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's good, isn't it? Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's also good news, isn't it? So surely a loving God would not, you know, condemn people to hell, right? This is the very next verse. This is John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. I mean, there it is. Right there. So... The enemy comes along and he says, hey, surely there's not just one way. God, I mean, did God really say there's only one way for real? Is that what he said? Oh, surely God wouldn't do that. And what do you have? You have Jesus himself saying, this is, this is how it is. Just one more quick example. Um, is the Bible really God's word or is it? I mean, surely it's just ancient stories from ancient times. Ancient stories from ancient times. This is how the counsel of the Lord, excuse me, the counsel of the ungodly uh, speaks to the people and wants to draw you away from the Lord. Question, did God really say? And then a statement. The, the second part is this, this path. 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way or the path of sinners. The path is the practical life. That's the everyday choices. Um, why? Because talking about it uh, can lead to actually living it. And th- this is what we've seen over and over again. People who begin to engage with an idea then go, hey, I, I see that this is not so bad after all. And then they begin living this way, path. And then the last one, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. They have taken up residence. It is the place, the seat is the place of transactions. It is the place of uh, a prominence. It is the place of, of judgment, pronouncing judgment. Like when you're seated at the city gates there, people would come in and they would ask for advice or they would make transactions there. This is what we're talking about here, a lifestyle descent. And it sounds like, oh man, you're wrong about who God is. You're wrong about who God says you are. And your life would be better without him. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who avoids that. Who doesn't dive into the relational descent and who does not buy into the lifestyle descent. So this is the place though, this is the place church family that you drift if you're not intentional. Why? Because there are so many voices and those voices are so loud and they are so forcefully argued today. This is the place where we drift if we're not intentional. So, what do we do about that? Instead, blessed is the man. Let's take the first phrase of verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now skip all the way down to verse 2. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Let's talk about that. Delight. Delight in the law of the Lord. Do you see that? So there is a content here. The, the word that uh, the psalmist used there is the word Torah. It's instruction or teaching, um, sometimes commands, but mainly instruction or teaching. God wants you to understand who he is and what he has done. And so he, he, because of that, because he's communicating content to us, we're not just making stuff up. We're not just imagining things. Um, we're talking about the Bible here. Uh, and so th- this is uh, kind of the illustration that spun up in my mind this week. At some point this week, and I can't remember exactly what, what it was, but at some point this week, I walked into my house and it smelled really, really good because somebody was cooking something. Yeah? I c- can you in your mind walk into your house and smell a cake? Can you do that, everybody? Oh, it smells good, doesn't it? But the delight is not in the smell of the cake. The delight is when you shove your kids out of the way and pull the foil off and cut a piece that won't fit on your plate, right? Like that's where the delight is. And actually consuming it, right? The the content of the cake that's producing this aroma, that's where the delight is. So for us, the delight is in the law of the Lord, in the content there. And there's two questions that so often come up to me. Uh, Number one, uh, is it really that good? I mean, like, can you really delight in it? And the answer is yes. We'll talk about that even more next week. But secondly, can you really trust it? Can you really trust it? Who's ever... Anybody want to admit that they've had that question before? Can you trust God's word? Here's a, here's a, here's a thing. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, more information coming out. Just putting this in your bucket right now. Uh, we're going to do a three-week um, kind of breakout seminar during the Sunday school hour about can you trust God's word? It's going to be fantastic. Tyler and Sonny are going to lead. It's going to be a great opportunity for you just to think about that. Okay. This, this is, this is where there's content there, right? There's content and there's delight. So here's one of the um, things that comes up. Uh, this is just very pastoral here. And it goes something like this. But delight is not my experience when I open the Bible. Anybody ever have that? 
Like, delight is not, I open the Bible and it's dry. It's what, delight is not my experience when I open the Bible. And let me just walk through a couple of things here. Um, it could be because you're spiritually dry. That there is some um, aridity to your soul right now for any number of reasons, but you are spiritually dry. And the best thing you can do is to continue to open the Bible and continue to pray until God brings rain to your soul, so to speak. Uh, the, The second reason might be that you are spiritually distracted. Like I'm just off in 100 different places and there's so much going on. Another reason may be I'm in the middle of trial right now and when I open this up, I don't find delight. I may find some nourishment or some strength to take one more step, but I don't know that it's necessary to lie. And the last one, and probably most common in terms of what I experience in talking with you and people like you, is that you have the wrong definition of delight. I mean, like, there's a problem with the definition of delight. And so I just wanted to do, do a little compare and contrast here real quick. Um, if, if that's the problem, if you're spiritually dry, if you're um, uh, distracted, or if you are uh, kind of in a time of trial, this is a completely different thing. But if your problem, if your issue is there is, del- there is delight, uh, excuse me, I, you, I mean, I don't have any delight, and it's because I don't understand what delight should look like. Let me just give you a couple of examples here. Um, if, if delight is in your experience when you open the Bible, it could be because you don't understand that the Bible is not designed to make you happy, but to help you know God. The Bible is not designed to make you happy, but to help you know God. Um, This God who is the greatest source of satisfaction, um, the greatest source of delight, and the very thing for which you were made. Colossians 1.16 says that you and I were made by God, yes, and we were also made for God. We were supposed to be in a relationship with him. It is not designed to make you happy. It is designed uh, to uh, help you know God. In other words, you weren't made to read the Bible, but to know God. But you will not know God if you do not read the Bible. With me on that? Here's another way that this misunderstanding of delight shows up. Um, It is not designed to make you feel better, but to be better, genuinely better. The Bible is not designed to make you feel better. It is designed to make you be better. When we are um, uh, engaged in the Bible, we we look at it, we see it, we understand it, and it speaks to us. It it is not designed so that we feel better about our lives, feel better about our situation. It is designed to help us be better in our lives and be better in our situation. If we open the Bible thinking that it should help us to feel better um, or affirm me where I am um, and and the life that I have right now, uh, we will be sorely disappointed. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, this is what the Bible says about itself. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, tomorrow morning, I hope you sit down, and I hope you open this. And when you do, do you know what you're doing? You are playing with a sword. Swords are not designed to help you feel better. Swords are designed to do the things that swords do. Cut. Clear. They're swords. They're sharp. It's not designed to help us feel better. It's designed to help us be better. And oftentimes, this this most often says something about our view of God. That God... It's kind of just on my side, so sort of thing. Um, I have a God who always agrees with me. If, we, if you've got a God who always agrees with you, we've talked about this before. 
But if you've got a God who always agrees with you, you don't have a God. You've got a puppet. Kermit. That's who you've got. Thirdly, it is not designed to be imported into your world. It is designed to be read and understood in its own world. Uh, if you've traveled overseas before, um, been in this situation where uh, the guy gets off the plane and he's in his Mickey Mouse hat and a camera around his neck and, you know, this kind of thing. And he's walking down. He goes to France or pick your favorite spot there uh, to make fun of a tourist. And, and, and they go and they're, they're there and they're expecting for some reason uh, that everybody should accommodate them and the culture that they bring to the table. And if you were to see that, you would think that's the world's worst tourist not only are you not appreciating the things that are different, like part of the reason you go to a different country is to experience things that are different, right? So not only are you experiencing, not experiencing the difference of the country, but you're also missing the sights because uh, you're, you're not uh, engaged with uh, what's really going on here. You're not connected with what's really going on. And so that would be the world's worst tourist. And some of us come to the Bible exactly like that. Like we think that the Bible should step into our world instead of us stepping into it. Folks, this is an ancient document. It needs to be read as such. Now, the question then becomes, uh, well, what do, what do we do with the difficult parts? Are there difficult parts in the Bible? Heavens, yes. I've read it cover to cover multiple times, and there are parts that I don't like and parts that I don't understand. That's the reality. But importing my worldview and language uh, into this ancient text is, is one of the most profoundly arrogant things that I could do. I have to let it speak from its world to my world, not think that I am going to somehow just bring it, update it, if you will, into mine, and it's going to continue to speak. Does it still speak? Yes, absolutely. And it speaks with authority. That's why we gather as the church. That's why we study. But it speaks from its world to us, and it speaks from its context. It has a context in which it speaks. So, again, can we just do one more example of this? This from the book of 1 John. And uh, these are the conversations that many of you have had before um, in, in different settings. This is 1 John. Again, I'm just reading three verses, and they're right next to one another. This is 1 John 4, 8, 9, and 10. You ready? Um, anyone, I, I, I couldn't think of a more uh, prominent example than this one. Anyone who does not love God, excuse me, anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is Love. This is 1 John 4, verse 8. Right? Anyone who does not know God does not love because God is love. And, and we hear that rolled out on talk shows and in conversations over coffee or, or uh, uh, lunch or whatever. Oh, well, I don't believe that because I just believe God is love. I don't believe God would say that to me or challenge me in that way. Or whatever. I just believe God is love. I don't believe God cares about this, that, or the other because I just believe that God is love. Right? And so the question then comes out, what kind of love is it talking about? The love that I defined, I'm going to import my 21st century suburban definition and understanding of love into that story, or do I need to let it speak from there to me? Which one is better, you think? The second one, for sure. And John actually does that. Just keep reading. Let's back up to verse 8, just so we catch the whole thing. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So what does this love look like? Oh, it looks like God sending his son. Verse 10, in this is love. 
This God who is love. In this this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. Yes, he is. But it's not 21st century suburban love. It's a love that sent his son to die for these sinners in their place and for their sin in order that they might be reconciled to him. That's what it means when it says God is love. And how do I know that? Well, it says it right there. It says it right there. So I have to let it speak from its context to us. So back to Psalm 1, just quickly. Blessed is a man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I just want to pick up on that word for just a second, and we'll transition next week uh, into uh, more of this. Meditate, meditate. Um, Please note that the psalmist does not separate delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating. Like, we have to take both of those together. We shouldn't separate those either. Um, To meditate means to endeavor on something, to think on something, to set course to. The word literally means mumble. That's really what it means. To have it so in your mind that it just mumbles on your lips. There's an intentionality to it. No one drifts into delight of God's word. And so here's the question. Um, When you meditate on the law of God, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? Do you know what you're going to read? And do you know how to read what you're going to read? Do you have a plan? Very practically. Um, Some people pick up and uh, they read from different sections of the Bible. That's, that's kind of my thing. There's a, a pastor from the 1800s named Robert Murray McShane, and he had a plan. And I just read four different sections. Some people read um, all of the New Testament with one chapter from the Old Testament, and they just kind of do that. Or, or um, Psalms or Proverbs, however it shakes out for you. Do you have a plan? That's the question. You, you have to be intentional, and you have to have a plan. And then as a part of that plan, how are you going to read if that is your plan, how are you going to read that? And we've done this in here so many times. I just want to leave it very practically um, for you to think about this. It's REAP, R-E-A-P. Let's do that together. You ready? R, we read. Whatever it is that you uh, choose to read that day, whatever your plan lays out, you would read the Bible. We would be people who open the Bible uh, and, and read it. The enemy, if we miss a day, the enemy would come along and you know what he'll say? Hey, Jesus loves you less today because you didn't read the Bible. Don't believe that, but then open your Bible. Both, right? Like don't, don't listen to his voice, but then open your Bible. Read, E, examine. Take, read it slowly enough, and I encourage you to read with a pencil or a pen in hand. Read it slowly enough that if a question comes up or an insight comes up, you can write it down or, or try to figure it out. Try to research it later, whatever it is. Read, examine, ask questions, things like, where do I fit in this? What is this? How I, like if I had to put myself in this story or whatever, where would I be? Read, examine, A, apply. God doesn't want you to simply hear it, but he wants you to go live it. So guess what? You and I then get to step out and go live what he said. It's not as if the world needs less application from us. And then P, pray. This is the step that I think is so critical but because it turns your eyes off of the page and upwards to the God who gave us the word. Pray. You, you, take, you take something like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in, uh, in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. And you go, God, I don't want to be any of those today. Please help me, God, avoid what I need to avoid and help my delight to be in the law of the Lord and help my mumbling to be not about the Astros or whatever. Help my 
Help my mumbling to be on your law. He, meditate, he delights in it. He meditates on it. Then help, help me to be like that. Because I know what's coming. I know it'll be like a tree. Playing about the streams of water and so forth. So you turn it into a prayer. And then you let that fuel your other prayers. God, help my kids to be that way. Help my spouse to be that way. Help my friend to be that way. And on and on. Read, examine, apply, and pray. That's where the challenge is, I think, for us. As we are people who are saturated with the scriptures. Do you have a plan? And how are you going to go about carrying out that plan? That's where we'll leave it today. Let's take a minute and pray and ask for God to push this down into us. And then we'll sing a little bit to respond, okay?